Tonight we're going to uh, dive back into the book of Luke. This is our last approach to the chapter, chapter number one. And we're going to use verse 55 here this evening. Luke 1, 55. Now we've read through this passage many times already. The very last two verses, 54 and 55, speaks of the Lord giving help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. We're going to focus on that last phrase there, to, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. That's really quite rich with thought, you'll see as we go through there. So uh, let's ask our, our Lord for his work in our life here tonight as we study his word. Heavenly Father, once again, thank you for the privilege of uh, having your word in our hand right now, the opportunity to look into it and to learn more about you, what you have done. And we thank you, Lord, for it. Uh, challenge us with this passage as well. All the way through, we've been uh, just gleaning great things from this section, and, and we anticipate that one more time here. So help us with it and, and do your work in our lives, and uh, we will be quick to give you the glory and the praise for it. That's what this, this section is all about. We want to magnify your name. And so may it be so tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this little thing here. Uh, he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. We've already seen this is a praise section. The entire thing from 46 all the way through. Mary's giving praise to the Lord. That's her focus. Not on her circumstances. Not on the, the events of her life. But on what God is doing. And she gives special praise to him for what he has done. How his attributes of power and, and uh, holiness and mercy has affected her personally. He has done great things for me. I especially like that line. Um, how he's been sovereign in his actions toward uh, those who are humble, those who fear him. His ministry on their behalf is just just priceless. as how he provides for his own. And now we see this last illustration here in 54 and 55. All she has to do is look at the history of what God has done in reference to Israel, in reference to Abraham. And uh, she brings that to the forefront because that is a picture of a powerful, holy, merciful God at action, in action. This is what he has done. And uh, I like the whole picture of it all because, as I said this morning, when you get the full understanding of his character then you may not understand the situation you're in, but you know who you trust. And that's what she is saying in, throughout this. This is the God she trusts. And so, as we look at this tonight, let's talk about Abraham, because this is a great part of our study here. Um, there's a lot of places in these Gospels to start the Christmas story. Uh, we could even go into some Old Testament passages. We could go to the book of Micah. In chapter number 5, and we could pull up the Christmas story from there if you wanted, about Bethlehem being the one chosen. You could go into Isaiah chapter 9, and you could talk about, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And every year as a pastor I say, which one do I want to do this year? 
because it's always uh, uh, fun to say, well, we could go here, we could go there, we can go to all these different options. The shepherd's story, the angels, we could go to the wise men or three kings or however you like to call them. We, we, could, we can start almost anywhere, can't we? And say, this is where we can start with the Christmas story. I even did it out of John chapter 1. Which is a great passage about, in the beginning was the Word, and then the Word became flesh, verse 14. That's a great section to go as well. But as we're in Luke, let's, let's see how he does this. Chapter number 1, if you back up just a little bit, this is how he began this book. Uh, verse number 1, he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us, by those from the beginning uh, who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seems fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. The very next phrase, in the days of Herod, king of Judah. (laughs) You've seen that before, haven't you? Now, he's not going to talk about Jesus there. He's going to talk about John the Baptist. But it, it's his, it's his uh, launching point. You can see, he says, many others have done this. But I have a desire to write to you the consecutive order of things. And, and so he, he wants to be very careful to present the exact truth. So he starts in verse number 9 here, and he works his way through quite a little section about the story of John the Baptist. And and I was reading that this morning, just uh, enjoying the passage, um, especially when it came to naming John. That's a fun little section there, because everybody thought Zacharias should name him Zacharias. And uh, so it's a fun little section. We won't do that here tonight. But... uh, the, the section is all on John the Baptist to start with. That's a great place to start, too. If you're going to introduce the Messiah, you've got to have the forerunner, right? And that's what John the Baptist was. Now, jump down to verse 26, and this is where the record of Jesus Christ begins. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and a virgin... No, I won't. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now we 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 are introduced immediately into Mary's uh, event and how the angel came to her and spoke to her. Let, let's mark something in our thinking right here in verse twenty-seven. She's a descendant of David. You see that mark there? That's not accidental. That's intentionally put in there. A descendant of David. And then he goes on to say, uh, And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement. Kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. For behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. See it again? Pops up. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now this is very logical. If you're going to present Jesus as the king, you have to put him in light of his rightful position as a descendant of David. True? 
That's what Luke is doing here. He's presenting him as that one who is a descendant of David. He has the right to reign. But God especially has it in his mind that he should reign. And so that's what Mary would hear. This is, this is the descendant of David. This is, this is the record of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go back to Matthew now, chapter number 1, let's say we started there with our Christmas story. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18, it's introduced this way. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So once again, we have that introduction, and it's focused on David still, isn't it? The, the record. So we have Joseph here uh, Finding this out. Now, if you go back to Luke, I hope you didn't lose your place, because that's where we are anyway. Chapter 1, verse number 31, we saw just a few minutes ago. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, I'm making this stress on purpose, because... As I'm flopping back and forth through these passages, Luke and Matthew, Luke and Matthew, because they're fascinating how they do present the same story in two different light. But in chapter number two, specifically of Matthew, his focus is on the kingly right of David. Chapter two, which sometimes we, we don't get that far in our study of Matthew, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, and what was their question? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? They were looking for the king, right? So, it's interesting how you can go through the records and you can see these, this stress. The king, the king, the king. And even when they looked it up, the, the prophets there in Matthew chapter, or the priests and the scribes in Matthew chapter 2, uh, they said, this is where he'd be born, Bethlehem of Judea, because it's written, and then they actually quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which is fascinating to me. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means least among the leaders of Judah, out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod could not claim that. Herod was an Edomite. He was from the, the clan of Eden which is kind of funny. That's Esau's group. (laughs) He had no right to the throne anyway. Herod didn't. But what's interesting is, here he hears it, that somebody has a rightful place for the throne. It's in Scripture. The scribes point it out. They were six miles away from where Jesus was born, and they didn't even go and look. Isn't that amazing? Only six miles away, and they never went. 
they sent the Magi to check this out for him. Apparently it wasn't as great of a threat as what they thought at first. They, they thought, no, that just can't be. You go find out and tell us more. But here the emphasis ruling as a descendant of David, as a descendant of David, that was promised. That was promised back in Isaiah. For a child shall be born to us, a son shall be given to us, and his name will be called, well, and the government shall rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government, or of peace on the throne of David, and over his kingdom, to establish it, uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The emphasis again, the throne of David, Christ coming as a descendant of David. Now, with all that information, let's go back farther, because you can start Christmas with the story of David. But let's go back a little bit further, Matthew chapter 1 and just verse 1. Matthew 1 verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David... And then look at the next three words. Son of Abraham. Isn't that interesting? Abraham's now part of our story. We have to look a little bit more into this. Because, as you know, this phrase here, son of, we're speaking of, of descendants, right? He wasn't the immediate child of David. He wasn't the immediate child of Abraham. He was a descendant of David. He was a descendant of Abraham. So, when we look at these uh, genealogies specifically, we look at Jesus and his rightful position as king, but as Matthew just said, he's Messiah. Jesus the Messiah, who is the descendant of David. There's this kingly right. But what's Abraham got to do with all this? Once again, there's a name that pops up on the screen. So we're, we're going to look at Abraham because it was through Abraham that God had promised one who would come that through him the whole world will be blessed. That's our focus as we look at this tonight. Uh, Jesus, when he was announced to the shepherds, the angels said this, and you know the passage pretty well. He's, they said, we bring you good news of great joy, which is for all the people. All the people. Not just for a handful. It's for all the people. That is a significant statement to what we want to see here. Uh, that news for all the people was originally delivered to Abraham. Go back with me. Genesis chapter 12. Way back here. Genesis chapter 12. This is a, a great place to start with Abraham. This is the first introduction we have of him in Scripture. And the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. See that last phrase? Now, was God serious? This is a promise, right? 
he, he made these promises. He doesn't say, I might bless you. <laughs> but he says, I will. I will, I will, I will. And I believe, especially in verse number 3, that the Lord still holds to that part of the promise as well. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. I think that's the way he operates with even nations in their relationship to God's people. Those who bless, he blesses. Those who curses, he curses. And in that, this is a, a promise made to Abraham. We call it the Abrahamic Covenant. It's repeated several times in the book of Genesis. Different events bring up another aspect of it as it goes. But as Abraham was given a promise by God, Abraham did nothing to earn this promise. Matter of fact, the way the chapter starts, it just happens. We have no record of what Abraham was up to, up to this moment. But all of a sudden, there he is, and the first words he hears out of the Lord's mouth is, Go. <laughs> and that's it. That's your introduction. The Lord says, go. And he says, and this is what I will do, Abraham. He doesn't say, Abraham, go and do this and do this and do this. He says, go and I will do this and I will do this and I will do this. And he sets it up that he will bless Abraham. He will bring from Abraham, uh, uh, he will give him a great name. He will give him many nations. He will make great nations of him as well. But also, down to the end, and... In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now that's a remarkable thing in light of the fact that uh, Abraham had no children. None. The man was somewhere near 75 years old, according to verse number 4. He was 75 years old when the Lord spoke to him. No children, no descendants, no one. So he started to figure out how this could be. And you know his story. But the first thing he said was, Lord, I've got a good servant, Eleazar. He's a good man. Uh, why don't we make him my heir? And God says, no, no, we're not going to do it. Not Eleazar. I'm going to give you a son. And so he figured, well, I'll help with that one too. And you know the whole story of Hagar and how that came about. And uh, another son was born there. And Ishmael was the one that Abraham says, Oh Lord, that Ishmael would stand before you. Pick Ishmael. Ishmael. God says, No, that's not the one. You will have your own son. Your own son through Sarah. And Isaac was then brought into the picture. Right? Abraham's 99 years old. I just love those dates. <laughs> 99 years old. And here his wife is 90 and the son is given to them. And Sarah laughs. Just seems something to laugh at. But sure enough, she has a child. Wasn't many years after that when the Lord said what? Now take your son Isaac, the one whom you love. Take him up on the mountain and give him back. We go through that in chapter 22 of Genesis, and, and that had to have been a terribly hard thing to go through. I just can't even fathom it. But try to put yourself in Abraham's shoes. By then, he's probably about 115, maybe 120 years old. Who knows? It's been quite a number of years. And I'm thinking, wow, Lord, did you not make a promise? Did, not, did you not say there would be nations? Did you not say that you would bless my name? Did you not say that you would bless the whole earth through me? And now you're taking the only one back that could bring it about? 
Isaac. What a challenge that is. What a, an incredible challenge. But here, put it in, in this picture for a minute. Abraham heard these things 2,000 years before Jesus was born. Here we stand on 2,000 years after Jesus was born. Do you know what? God never changed His promise. It's been out there for 4,000 years. The same promise. The same promise. Mary is still clinging to it in her statements in Luke. The statement that she makes is, He spoke to Abraham and to his descendants, right? And do you think she believed it? Absolutely. Her say, He spoke to our fathers Abraham and to his descendants forever. She counted on that promise. She hung on to that promise, still, still clinging to it. Upon what did Abraham base his faith? Back in Genesis, let's go to chapter 15 for a minute. Because we're, we're giving a good look at this man. Genesis chapter 15. Uh, start in verse number 1, because this is before any children uh, were given to him. He says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abraham's still looking around. <laughs> he says, now wait a minute. Um, oh Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir. But one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. If you were standing in his sandals, would this be a hard thing to try to grasp in your mind? No children and you're to count the stars? There's a lot of stars out there. When I lived in Indiana, we don't have half as many stars as Oklahoma does. I don't know what that is. must be our, our clouds, our, who knows what it is. We could go outside and look for it in vain many times. You couldn't find stars. I come down here and the sky's loaded. You've been holding them all, is what I found out. They're all down here on this end of the, the uh, uh, states. But, but to stop and count stars. I wonder if he actually did it. Wouldn't you love that verse if it was here? And Abraham said, one, two, three, four. Can you imagine that? You know, he only wanted one. That's all he asked for. Give me one. One descendant. And God said, start counting. Start counting. The very next phrase is crucial to our understanding of Abraham. And he believed in the Lord. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He believed it. What did he have to go by? All he had was a word from the Lord. That's all he said. As he spoke to our father Abram. That's what Mary said. All it was was the word. The word. Now, 
as I've showed you in our study of Mary and what she had to say, Mary had many things she could point to as situation and events in her life and things of that nature. But she chose to magnify the Lord. She set her focus on his character, right? We can see that here. Um, Israel, as we know, is also prone to disbelief. As a nation, they were constantly in states of disbelief. Their actions were contrary to the things of God so so many times. And you wonder, how could they not believe Him? He split the Red Sea, and they walked through it. And almost on the next day, they're doubting whether or not He could take care of them. They had nothing to eat. And you say, well, we would have done better, right? Of course we would. Uh, They had the, the provision of the manna every day, but they walked through the day as if God wasn't with them. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle from God's hands, and it seems like that disbelief was so heavy that they constantly turned to that. But God was merciful, as we've seen. Always merciful. He's, he's merciful to them, even when they would not believe Him, when they, when they did not trust Him. Uh, they were working on themselves all the time. That's their focus, themselves, instead of the faithfulness of the God who promised. They didn't trust His Word. His Word wasn't enough for them. Abraham heard a word only, and he trusted it. He believed it. See, he didn't have a track record of God's events in his life in order to support his faith. God spoke to him one day and said, go! And what did he do? He went! What was he basing that on? All the events in his, in his life? Or just the fact that God said, go, and he went? Here in chapter 15, God says, Count! That's all he told him to do. Count. And he believed. And he believed. Now, here's my question. Wouldn't it be great if our faith was that immediate? God said, go. And we said, okay. God said, count. And we believe. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be great? Don't we desire such faith? That we, we don't sit back and say, prove it. Or, uh, let me think about that a little while. Uh, let me investigate before I trust. Uh, do we need the crutches of experience to support our faith? Many people do. Many people trust on the experience, and they set all their faith on an experience rather than trust on the character of God or even the promise of His Word. His Word ought to be sufficient for us, right? Matter of fact, how can we be saved without it? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, right? The Word of God is, is that. We, we, we need to just simply trust the character of our God. Now, we can know a lot about him, how he works with his power, how he does things according to his holy name, how how he's wrapped everything up in mercy as he's handed it to us. But the declaration that Mary comes to, and I, I like these words, I'll take you back to it, what Mary actually says. Listen to these words. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants. She's counting on 
his word. His character and his word. I think that's fascinating. That's where faith is, is settled. God's character and his word. Because God keeps his word. 2,000 years later, she's counting on it. 2,000 years later than that, we're counting on it. God's word. Is that sufficient for us? I hope it is. I hope we could say, that's what we need. That's what we trust. Because that, that gives more meaning and understanding and even uh, a, a proper response to the events of this life. God is a faithful God, is He not? And what He does in our lives, we may not understand them, but we know who He is. The song, I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He is, what? Faithful. Faithful. So I'm going to give you a a couple of, uh, um, few, a couple of lessons, a few lessons from Mary's declaration here. What we have seen over the course of the month, and it comes down to about five things that, that I think are the essential aspects of what she declared here. I think, first of all, that the best reaction we can have toward God is to praise Him first in everything. That's the way she started, right? Praise Him first. Now, sometimes it's going to be harder to do that. <laughs> To say, I praise you, Lord, especially when things are falling apart around us. But I think that's a good way to set our heart. Praise Him first. Second thing, trust Him completely. We tend to set our eyes on circumstances, but we are told in Scripture to set our eyes on Him. We are to look unto Jesus, right? The author and finisher of our faith. We are told in Colossians that we are to set our minds or our eyes on things above, not on things of the earth. And that's exactly what she did in this. This entire passage in Luke chapter number 1. She set her eyes on Him, not on her circumstances. And I think that's a very good thing for us to learn. Set our eyes on Him. It usually is easier to do when you're praising Him. Third thing, filter the events of one's life according to his character. That's an entirely new filter for some people. If we're filters, if the filters we set up to help us evaluate things is ourselves, we're going to get very confused at what goes on around us. But let's set his character as our filter. What do we know of him? Well, three things. Number one, he's powerful. Number two, he's holy. Number three, he's merciful. Those are the only three attributes we ever learn of our God. We have a sufficient picture of a God who is faithful all the time. In his power, in his holiness, and in his mercy toward us. That's the kind of God we have. Let's set our focus on those rather than the focus on the events. That's a good place for us to filter our our events according to his character. Number four along this, examine history to see the faithfulness of God. More times than not, and I'm in this too, 
When I study the Old Testament history, I'm looking at the people and saying, what is wrong with those people? <laughs> over and over we say, oh, not again. When are they ever going to learn? We go on and on and on about the people. But what we should do is start from the beginning and look at our God. He is faithful all the way through that, isn't he? Is there ever a time when he failed? Not at all. And they were a mess to deal with. And he was always faithful. Always faithful. I think that's a, that's a better view of history. We're going to look at the back, uh, the, the events of our life. Look back on them. You're going to see things like failure. You're going to see things like the mess. You're going to see this and that and all that stuff. But stop again and look at the history of your life according to the faithfulness of God. Has he not brought you to this day? I know sometimes the seas were pretty rough. But did he not bring you through to this day? A faithful God. And even if, and I'll just make this real hypothetical because here you are, but even if you didn't reach this day, where would you be? You would be with him, would you not? And are you going to complain about that? I don't think so. You would still declare he's a faithful God because he keeps his word. And so, well, let's, let's change our, our view on this too. When we look at history, let's look first for the faithfulness of God. You see the changes that this is bringing about for us. And the number five, this one is real simple. It's based on what we just saw here tonight. Believe His Word. Believe His Word. That's as simple as you can make it. Just set it down there. God has said this. And I believe it. That's what Mary just did for us. He spoke to our fathers. And did she count on that? Yes. Abraham, he spoke to me. And did he count on that? Yes. Can we be like that too? God said this. That's what I believe. You see, there's great lessons just in this simple little study that we've had here today. That, that we can review the events even of our lives, based on Mary's response to the events that God had given her, and we could come to the, the better perspective. The one I think will give us peace. The one that will help us stay strong in our faith. The one that would even help us to show others. Mary showed us something. You know, that comment uh, uh, concerning Mary. From now on, all the, the world would consider me blessed and all these kind of things. Um, we do that today. Why? Not because she was some sort of super saint or something like that. But I think very much we bless the Lord for her because she just taught us something. She taught us a great deal, didn't she? This is what I've, I've gleaned from it. It's been an excellent study, even what I've been able to work on and, and dig through and such. And, and all the while I said, Lord, I want faith like that. So let's commit ourselves to that. If you need a resolution, let's start there. Okay, Heavenly Father, we come before you here tonight uh, so thankful for the way that you work in our lives as you've worked in the past in all these lives we have records of. These individuals are testimonies to us that even though the events of their lives are ch tough, they trusted you. 
And you have given us this record that we might see it, that we might learn from it. It, it does speak of our Savior. It does speak of his birth. It does speak of the, the promises that are fulfilled. We love that side of it too. That's especially the side we love. But in this section, we've gotten a, a glimpse of you. An understanding of your character, of your dealings, of your faithfulness. And you're the one whom we trust. And I pray, Lord, that uh, maybe another step needs to be taken for us to, to walk closer to you. And if that's the case from this study, that's wonderful, Lord. Thank you for bringing us uh, to a better understanding of who you are. Maybe it's just a, a, a thing that we needed to readjust our focus. For so often we do set it in the wrong place and, and we get a distorted view of history or modern days or the events of our days. We, we forget things because we focus on man rather than God. As a result of that, Lord, our, our faith wavers, our, our hopes are, are, are dimmed. We struggle, we, we act like those who are blind and we don't know the end from the beginning. When all the while you, the faithful God, has been giving to us your word, and you've been showering us with your mercy, and you've been drawing us with that mighty hand to yourself, and we thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us. You have been so good to us. You have done great things for us. And we magnify your name, because that's what it comes down to. We magnify your name for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for our study. May it impact our lives. May we take these simple things and, and weave them and, and set them into our very lives and souls and, and be that kind of person that you look upon and, and uh, smile and are pleased with. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.